Not sleeping well? You aren't alone. It's a stressful time right now. And I hope that you're making some time each day, or when you can, to get outside and get a little sun. See the greenery. Literally stop and smell the flowers. Time spent in nature is a natural balm, a true sleep aid. Hearing the birds or the sound of rain against the window or the rustle of wind in the trees, these are sounds we need to feel balanced and centered. I've read that even listening to recorded nature sounds can be soothing, calming, and helpful. If you're listening to this episode, you should be safe and comfortable, ready to sleep. You should be dressed for bed, no tight or constricting clothes. Make sure you've had that last sip of water, that your door is locked and your children, partner, or critters are secure. If you have to bolt out of bed five minutes from now to take your allergy tablet, turn off the kitchen light, or remove your socks, you'll undo your relaxation. Relaxation that you've earned. Relaxation and comfort that you deserve. The peace that comes from good rest at the end of a long day. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's spent many a day running on coffee, Excedrin, and a banana. And friends, it is not a good look. Not now, when maintaining your immune system is so important. Consider this your lecture on getting enough water to drink, enough protein to properly fuel your brain, and enough rest to let your mind and body recuperate and be well prepared to face the day ahead. Now, you should be in bed, or maybe you're stretched out on the couch or in a lounge chair, and man... I do love napping in a recliner. It's my preferred snooze location. Wherever you are, do a quick inventory. Are you warm enough? If you sleep with a fan, a sound machine, or a nightlight, are they set to the preferred setting? If you need an alarm to wake you in the morning, have you set it? I'm going to give you a short break to get settled and comfortable, to pull up the covers and fluff the pillows, to snuggle in. Once you are settled comfortably under the blankets, take a brief inventory of your body. Your feet should be relaxed and comfortable. Take a moment to gently wiggle your toes, roll your feet, and release any tension in your ankles and calves. Then think about your knees. They work all day to keep you flexible and moving. Shift your legs slightly. Are your knees comfortable and relaxed? You know, I've heard that people with bad knees are struggling with forgiveness. If you have bad knees, perhaps there is a person or persons you need to forgive. Something to think about tomorrow during your busy day. Not right now, though. Right now is for relaxing. Right now is for you. Now shift your attention to the big muscles in your thighs. These muscles are the unsung heroes of your day. Long and powerful, they help keep you upright and moving. When my stress levels increase, I find that the center of these big muscles is where I like to store the worst kinds of tension. So give your hamstrings a squeeze and a release by tightening them, holding for a moment, and then release. 
Now do that again, slowly. Tighten those muscles and release them. Squeeze and let go. These muscles deserve to rest and recover as you sleep because they will be busy again tomorrow. Our legs carry us forward through life. How often do we pay them special attention or show them gratitude? Now, focus on the small of your back. This is another place where I carry a lot of tension, and part of that is from my work, riding a desk all day. It's not great for your spine. So if you can, roll your hips in a small circle to release any tension in that area. If you can't roll your hips, then tip your pelvis either forward and back, or shift your hips from side to side. Do that a couple of times to help release any tension. Now that you've thought about your back and your spine, draw your focus to your shoulders where we metaphorically carry our burdens. A life of laptops, tablets, and smartphones leads to tension and knots in our shoulders. So take time here to roll your shoulders. Do this gently first forward and then back, and again forward, and back. Perhaps lift the tops of your shoulders towards your ears and hold that for just a moment like a big shrug, and then release. Gently return your shoulders to a comfortable and relaxed position. Then check in with your arms, your elbows, your wrists. Are they comfortable? Are they resting well? Flex your hands and wiggle your fingers gently to relax them. Then take a few calming breaths. You deserve relaxation and you deserve a good night of sleep. You deserve good health and good dreams. In your life each day, you deserve kindness, stability, and comfort. Take a breath and draw in these good things. Rest, relaxation, Comfort, kindness, good health. These are things that you have earned, and these are things that belong to you. Now snuggle your head gently against your pillow. Is your neck comfortable? Is your hair and ears, are they placed how you need them to be for sleep? This is a space for another set of calming, centered, breaths before we get into our story. How often do you take notice of the architecture around you? So often does the work of engineers and designers and architects, it goes unappreciated by the everyday people who use it on a consistent basis. Everywhere you go, a construction worker poured the cement you walk across, a mason laid a brick in each building. And yet, these are thoughts that hardly ever cross people's minds. The least that can be done is to pay some mind to the architectural monuments of the world. Pieces of art made from steel and stone that continue to stand to this day. One of those pieces of art is the highly unappreciated Mackinac Bridge in Michigan. 
ranked as the fifth longest suspension bridge in the world and 24th longest mainspan bridge, this man-made feat is a wonder to behold. Just under 5 miles, 8 kilometers, or over 26,000 feet in length, this bridge has a history of over 70 years of setbacks and delays. The path to get to the visual masterpiece was anything but easy. Learning about its history and the decades of development to get to the final product, that's a way of appreciating and giving thanks to the hundreds of souls that went into it and those that were lost along the way. The Mackinac Bridge connects two peninsulas situated in the Straits of Mackinac that, prior to the bridge's construction, could only be crossed via a ferry. Before European colonization, the land was home to the Algonquin people, who referred to the region as Michilimackinac, meaning the Great Turtle. At the time, the area was populated by the Ojibwa and Ottawa nations, who first made contact with French colonizers in 1612. Prior to further invasion and settling, the indigenous populations were mostly fishermen, living all across the multiple islands in the lake. Unfortunately, as Manifest Destiny took hold, the French ended up establishing trading posts and sent in Catholic missionaries to convert the local population. Fort Michilimackinac was later established as well, a military settlement that was attacked by both the Ojibwa and British across several wars, falling into the hands of the latter. After the Revolutionary War, the area was in the control of the United States, who sought to further develop the land and its many resources for themselves. As Michigan's timber and mineral reserves began to rise in value, the Straits became a prime trading hub, making use of railroads, ferries, and highways to transport their goods. These systems became efficient enough to function, although traffic backups and delays plagued any mode of transportation. As early as the 1880s, there were those petitioning and discussing the construction of a bridge across the Straits. Many thought it to be too expensive or even impossible to build, with little being done in the way of an actual proposal for a span. But in 1883, when they unveiled the Brooklyn Bridge, supporters of the bridge concept finally had tangible evidence to prove that their idea, it was feasible. The Brooklyn Bridge was originally called the New York and Brooklyn Bridge, or the East River Bridge, but it was officially renamed the Brooklyn Bridge in 1915. Michigan-based newspapers began to print articles declaring that ferries and boats would never be enough to meet the demands of commuters or traders, and that a bridge would be required to establish any sort of major connection in Michigan. Famously, in 1884... A store in St. Ignace printed an artist's concept of the Brooklyn Bridge, claiming it was actually a concept of the future Mackinac Bridge. They hoped to stir local conversation and desire for the bridge. It didn't lead to a groundbreaking, the actual bridge. It was still several decades in the future. And while the ferry served its purpose, harsh winter weather and punishing waves often brought service to a halt, sometimes for days or even weeks at a time. It wasn't until four years later, in 1888, that real conversation about the construction of the bridge began again. In 
like many other businesses on either side of the Straits, the Grand Hotel was able to thrive well enough, but many knew that more revenue could be brought in, if only there were an easier route for the local populace to commute. When the board of directors met that year, Cornelius Vanderbilt II famously proposed, We now have the largest, well-equipped hotel of its kind in the world for a short-season business. What we need is a bridge across the straits. Despite general approval and want of a bridge, hardly anything was done to actually see it through, with no real progress made until the next century. In this time, multiple ideas were presented, but ultimately rejected. One such idea came from the Michigan State Highway Commissioner. He proposed the plans of a floating tunnel to be built across the straits. Outside help was brought in from a New York developer, C.E. Fowler, who explained his idea of building multiple causeways and bridges across the straits. Unfortunately, no idea was unanimously supported, and nothing came to fruition. Over the decades, the ferry's service issues began to make themselves more and more apparent as the years went on. As Michigan became more interconnected, the demand for an easier mode of transportation across the straits grew louder, but still, no bridge was brought up in discussion. Even the government began to take notice of the issue and started to implement what would ultimately be ineffective substitutes. The state highway department attempted to establish a more effective ferry service, but it was unsuccessful. Traffic became so backed up in 1923, Governor Fred Green had that same department then consider the possibility of building a bridge. Finally, the bridge was put under an actual discussion, but initial estimations of a cost of $40 million, that swayed enough people away from the project that it was shelved for another decade. Remember, $40 million in 1923? That's a sum most people couldn't even conceive of. In 1934, at the height of the Great Depression, talks about the bridge surfaced again, this time with an estimated cost of a little over $30 million. And with the help of many engineers and contractors who had worked on such projects before, Now, supporters of the bridge reached out to several government agencies for grants or loans. They were trying to help cover the cost. Despite general praise from those agencies and even the president at the time, Roosevelt, there was little success in receiving any financial support. Having been set back too many times now, local government and other supporters continued on in their progress, performing different geological studies of the surrounding area they wanted to determine the best route for the bridge to take. Even some minor construction began in the creation of borings and causeways being made in the straits. For the first time since the idea's inception 50 years earlier, actual progress was made on the Mackinac Bridge. But progress ground to a halt because World War II started to rage in Europe Millions of men signed up for the military. Resources and funds were allocated to the war effort. The project became less and less important to the state. And in 1947, Michigan officially disbanded the authority in charge of the bridge's construction. 
it seemed that the Mackinac Bridge would never be built. While government support had all but vanished, there was still an undeniable outcry of civilians who wanted to see this half-century project come to completion. Another committee was formed, this time a citizen committee, and work was put back on track, at least in the developmental stage, via consulting some of the world's experts in construction of this magnitude. With the war behind us, public demand for the project was at an all-time high, as those using the roads to move around the straits had to wait over five hours to get home. After everything was certified by contractors, the next major step was acquiring the funds for the build. This was done through the sales of bonds that, due to a weak bond market, could not be issued for a year. In 1953, the bridge was never closer to completion, especially after hiring of the man who would be its chief engineer and designer. David B. Steinman. Steinman's history is largely unknown. What we can tell you is that he spent his early childhood in New York in a family of Jewish immigrants. Born in 1886, Bridges seemed to have always had a place in his life. Coincidentally enough, living under the shadow of the Brooklyn Bridge and being alive during the construction of the Williamsburg Bridge which is another span connecting Brooklyn to Manhattan, it's no wonder why he chose the profession that he did. Working his way through college, Steinman eventually received a PhD in civil engineering. And once he'd completed his doctorate, he taught at multiple schools across the country. Eventually, he returned home to work on Hellgate Bridge in New York. Hellgate is an inverted bowstring truss bridge. It's still in operation. After this project, Steinman began to contribute to multiple other projects all across New York, eventually working in other countries as well. Steinman grew a healthy amount of notoriety for his creations, becoming well-respected among his fellow engineers. In 1950, Steinman was offered a position on the Board of Engineers for the Mackinac Bridge rising to become the spokesman for his colleagues. Despite facing several health issues during the time, Steinman steadied on to see the project completed in his lifetime. Initially, there was significant worry about the bridge's ability to withstand the high winds that passed through the straits, a problem that Steinman was determined to rectify. In 1940, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, built in Washington, collapsed from high winds, literally shaking itself to pieces. Fortunately, the only casualty was Tubby, a cocker spaniel dog. Steinman had been consulted by the engineers who designed that bridge, and in an attempt to prevent a catastrophe, he had submitted his own design. In a tragic turn, his submission was ultimately rejected despite his warnings about inevitable devastation, a prediction that would become true. The event in Washington caused significant worry among the many involved with the Mackinac Bridge project, but Steinman did all he could to ease their doubts. Using what was learned from the Tacoma Narrows Bridge disaster, the engineer designed his new project to be able to withstand winds up to 150 miles an hour. After over half a century of developmental complexities, 
the actual construction of the bridge took a little under three years to complete. The final cost ended up around $100 million. The dream which so many had worked decades upon decades for had finally met its end. A shining piece in the region's history that is still celebrated to this day. It was a glorious morning on November 1st, 1957, as not only was the Mackinac Bridge finally available and open to the public, but the dreaded ferry service which had plagued the community for so long was now just an option. The construction was not without its hardships, however. As in many major building project, workers of many degrees had to be put into dangerous and difficult situations that often threatened their lives. During the process, five men unfortunately lost their lives in tragic accidents. The first was a diver, a man named Frank Pepper. He rose too quickly from underwater, starting from a depth of 140 feet on September 16, 1954. He was 46 years old, and although he was treated as quickly as possible, the injuries he sustained ultimately proved to be fatal. The next was 26-year-old James Lesarge. He fell from a height of 40 feet, most likely dying from impact with steel beams. This accident occurred just a month later on October 10, 1954. Fifteen days later, 44-year-old Albert Abbott most likely suffered a heart attack, causing him to fall into the water while working on a beam that was only 18 inches wide. The construction site remained fatality-free for the next two years. The last two fatalities occurred at the same time, June 6, 1956. Both men, 28 years old, Jack Baker and Robert Coppin, they fell to their deaths when a catwalk near the north tower of the bridge collapsed. It was their first day working on the site. Unfortunately, Coppin's body remains missing to this day. These five men who lost their lives were commemorated with a plaque placed upon the bridge so their names and their sacrifice will never be forgotten. Just as with any other long-lasting landmark, the Mackinac Bridge has its unfortunate share of accidents after its completion. Several cars have fallen off the bridge in high winds, and in 1978, a private plane crashed into the suspension cables killing all three men on board. While the accomplishment of this project has meant so much to the community and to those who spent their lives working to see it completed, it should not mean that we forget the tragedies sustained along the way. That would be not only a disservice to the victims and their families, but a disservice to those who cherish the bridge for what it is, tragedy and all. On a lighter note, when celebrating the accomplishments of the project, It's hard not to be impressed by the figures. The total length of the bridge ended up at over 26,000 feet, with the height above the water going up to 552 feet in the air. And while it's not broken any records in terms of projects of its kind, the bridge's value comes not just from its measurements, but from its history. This can be seen in the community's continued celebration of the bridge even now, decades later. Starting in 1958, thousands of citizens and those from the local community came together to participate in the annual bridge walk, first led by Governor Menon Williams, and, as a side note, 
Governor Williams' nickname was Soapy. He would serve in office from 1949 to 1961. And as governor of Michigan, he led a crowd of people from St. Ignace to Mackinac City, crossing the bridge on foot, something that is not usually allowed to the public. To this day, people still come together each year to participate in this tradition, not only honoring the community, but the hundreds and hundreds of others who spent their lives making this dream a reality. The Mackinac Bridge path to completion was not straightforward. It was a long and arduous trip of setbacks, delays, and periods of almost no work going into it at all, aside from that of a few loyal supporters. Before any of it, it's just as important to acknowledge that the land was once held by the Algonquin people. Those who live there now must cherish the land they've inherited, respecting and cultivating it to try and rebuild. Part of this is finding creative ways for those living in the community now to come together and give them a reason to cherish what they have. If a community forgets its history or disregards its history in any way, they're not only doomed to repeat the same mistakes, but they risk devaluing all of the work it took to bring them to where they are now. This bridge and all that was put into it and all that it has become is a perfect example of this as not only did it bring people together in the past to see it completed, but it continues to bring people together today to protect it and make sure those who drive on it now respect the landmark in all of its glory and the hardships it represents. And my friends, that wraps up our story. You should be sleeping. You should be resting and happy, content and calm and peaceful. You deserve all of the good sleep. All of the rest and kindness and nurturing. I'm Nina instead. I appreciate you taking this rambling journey with me. Sleep well, dear heart, and be safe. <laughs>